Welcome back to the G3 Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Bice, and today I'm joined by Virgil Walker, Executive Director of Operations for G3 Ministries. Welcome back, Virgil. Hey, man. It's always good to be with you, Josh. Glad to be here. Yeah, so today we're going to be discussing the subject of persecution and the need or the call of perseverance. And if, you know, if we're if we're watching the news, if we're paying attention, we can see all of the problems, all of the issues of of the present culture that we're living in, and the pressure upon the church to capitulate. And we're going to talk about that today from various different angles and layers. But before we do that, we want to talk about the conference. We're just a few weeks away. It's hard to believe that the G3 National Conference is already here. And as we think about diving into this upcoming conference, the theme is Christ. We're going to be unpacking the doctrine of Christ for three days with over 6,000 attendees, more than 20 speakers and musicians uh, from around the world. And so we're going to be gathered with one powerful gospel. We're going to sing the gospel and preach the gospel, and we're going to enjoy Christian fellowship. But as we're making plans for this upcoming conference, what do we need to be thinking about what do we need to be looking forward to as we're making preparations? Yeah, I mean, it, it's exciting to think about, like you said, the fact that the conference is just weeks away. And um, I'm excited for a number of reasons, not the least of which, again, is the man, the, the powerful preaching that's going to take place on the theme of Christ. Uh, when we think about what, all the things that are going on in the world today and culture today and all of all of the issues that 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 permeate our lives, uh, I think it's going to be important for us uh, as believers to pull away and then rightly get our focus on Christ. And so it's going to be a great time there. Uh, I also am, am anticipating uh, just day one of the conference when you know, all the crowds begin to gather and folks that you haven't seen, you know, in person for, you know, for a year or more uh, are all together. Uh, we're having an opportunity to fellowship, to interact. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic time. This is definitely one that, that no one uh, will want to miss, that's for sure. Yeah, it's also going to take a little time for us as a, you know, ministry to get used to this biennial rotation, you know, and we're thinking about, you know, I hear people say, well, you know, I'm going to try to make it next year. I can't really come this year. And then we have to remind them that this is not an every year national conference. And so it's going to be two years from this fall before we're going to be back together here in the city of Atlanta again. So if you're able to come, we would encourage you to do so. But we must be honest, the seats are quickly disappearing. And so we want to encourage people to go ahead and register. We have a footprint with uh, at least the blueprint of how the conference is going to be set up at the convention center uh, and arranged uh, agreed upon plan of 6,000, just over 6,000 seats. And so, you know, we, we may or may not be able to press the convention center to extend that just from a contract standpoint. So um, right now, uh, if, if we get to 6,000 seats, then registration automatically shuts down. So people just need to be aware of, of what they're up against, if they're making plans, if there's some, some of our friends are last minute people and they like to wait until, you know, the week before and then they find out there's no more seats. So you need to be making your plans and also lodging. If you look at the website and you scroll below the registration uh, section there, you will see hotel properties. And so you need to also remember that you can't just expect for those properties to have rooms if you're waiting to the last minute. So some of those are selling out uh, each week. So you need to be prepared for that as well. 
But man, I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunity just to gather and to sit with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ for three days, to be able to go through, you know, the, the subject of Christ, to hear the doctrine of Christ expounded from the pulpit, and to just major uh, on Christ and to give our attention to Christ is just going to be a wonderful opportunity. So I'm thrilled, very excited. What's going to happen in the exhibit hall? Man, I'm always pumped about the exhibit hall and uh, because of what I'm seeing happening, uh, which is folks are lining up. They recognize uh, that, that our audience is an important one to be in front of. Uh, for a number of different reasons. And so uh, they've decided to partner with us, with G3, uh, and to, to present all the, the, the opportunities that they have, all the ministry opportunities, all of the, um, the, the goods and services that they provide uh, for, for uh, Christians, for churches, for pastors. Uh, it's just going to be fantastic. I, I can't wait uh, to see. We anticipate uh, at least I'm going to say at least a hundred vendors, at least a hundred vendors who will be there. And uh, man, this is this is a massive uh, ex- exhibit hall, and uh, it'll be an incredible time. Not to mention the bookstore. I, I, can I shout out the bookstore for just a second? We have more publishers than we've ever had at a G3 before. So I, I just, if you're one of those guys, you're like me who kind of saves up his money and waits to show up at the, at one of these, you know, major uh, conferences to get some of the discounts that are, that are available. This is the time because we have, we have more publishers than ever before that are, that are there that are bringing just some of the best books uh, available for you to take back home bring an extra suitcase, bring an empty suitcase, or be ready to ship some books back. But definitely, definitely, definitely prepare yourself as you yeah, can. Yeah, no, that's a great word. And 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 that's certainly something that we always do. You know, we, we try to give a little bit of money to the bookstore, at least in the, the conference planning. Uh, if, if I'm going to be attending a conference, I'm going to try to bring home some books that are going to allow me to increase my library. So uh, just a good word of, of encouragement there as well. Um, yeah, so w- when we're thinking about gathering for a conference on Christ, we need to also pace ourselves. You know, it's going to take a little bit of time to work through the various different layers uh, from the sermons and then all the way through to the very last sermon. So uh, the first sermon, I'm going to start off by preaching on who is this Jesus. And then the final sermon will be from Dr. Lawson on Saturday morning or Saturday afternoon, just about lunch or so. And he's going to be preaching on the resurrection of Jesus. And so we really need to pace ourselves on, you know, making sure that you're getting there on time, making sure that you're pacing yourself through the the meal break, that lunch break and the breakout sessions. But I just want to, you know, point everyone to the schedule. We just published a schedule and you can find that on our, our social media accounts. And you can also find it there on the website and basically, it's a rundown of, of all of the sessions for this conference. And you just, you, you want to make sure that you choose wisely because you have so many opportunities for the breakout session to customize your G3 experience, to go to various different speakers. Um, and so you want to do that. But you also want to pay close attention to what's happening the day before the G3 National Conference starts. And this is our pre-conference day. This is on Wednesday. And we're going to have three or four different things happening on that day that you really need to make sure that you're aware of. 
And I want to just, you know, point you to the website. You can see all of those different options there. Uh, if you're already a registered attendee to the national conference, you you, you should note that the, the pre-conference is an extra. So it's not something that's included in your conference registration, but it is worthy of your time and consideration. I mean, you're going to have uh, a Spanish conference opportunity. You're going to have uh, an English conference opportunity pre-conference on that Wednesday. And then there's also an afternoon coffee and tea called Table Talk. It's a pastor's wives event. And that's where Mary Beakey and Aaron Coates and Jennifer Buck and then my wife, Carrie, will be gathered together in a roundtable to talk about really in many ways, the struggles and the challenges of pastoral ministry and in supporting their husbands, and then also ways to to just talk about, you know, as, as mothers or even grandmothers, how to invest in the children in their lives, in their home, or even in the life of the church. And so just a wonderful opportunity for women that Wednesday afternoon. So be looking for that. Go ahead and get registered for that. As, and I think we're more than 50% full on the actual pre-conference itself. So if you're interested, you need to go ahead and get your seat secured. Yeah. Now I'm excited about the about the Pastor's Wives event. I know that uh, with the pre-conference and while the pre-conference is open uh, to anybody who would like to attend, there is a focus on pastoral ministry. The temptations, trials, and triumphs of pastoral ministry. All these great men are going to be there speaking into the lives of, of pastors and leaders who, who do attend. And, and, and I know that, that some of the ladies were wondering, is, is, this, is this okay for me to come? Is this something that I should be a part of? Well, absolutely. Absolutely, you're you're welcome to be there. But I, I thought it was awesome, and I know that you've had this kind of brewing in your mind as we begin, you know, talking about the different uh, things that we want to offer at the pre-conference. And so, uh, seeing this one actually come together with the ladies who agreed to participate, uh, agreed to be a part of, of the roundtable discussion, it was really, really uh, awesome to kind of witness and see happen. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for these ladies, uh, excited to see some of, some of the, uh, the artwork that went around it and, and, then, and then to listen to the planning uh, that's taken place around it is really, really exciting to see. So just one more great thing that we're offering uh, at the G3 conference. Absolutely. Well, as we dive into this conversation, Virgil, we want to talk about the subject of persecution. So over the course of the last year and a half, we have seen an enormous amount of pressure placed upon the church. So Christians have been pressed. They have been pressured by uh, various different layers of what we would consider to be genuine persecution. When you think about James Coates and what they've experienced in Canada, when you think about all of the you know, shutdown, lockdown sort of idea from a government standpoint upon local churches as it pertains to COVID-19, and we need to talk about and sort of unpack the the pressure upon the church today and the need to be steadfast and immovable in the faith, to persevere in the faith. And now we're seeing images, I mean, heartbreaking images out of mm-hmm. Afghanistan. And we're seeing, you know, these, yeah. these yeah. just horrific images of an evil regime that's now seeking to come back in and reclaim a land that was liberated by... American soldiers, some of whom actually paid with their own blood. And now you're seeing the streets swarming with this this mm-hmm. evil mindset, and there's fear that is just crippling hearts and, and minds, not only of, you know, the the women and the children that are there that are gonna potentially be abused 
and and suffer greatly as a result of this. And and of course we have a whole layer of of politics that's that's connected to this as well. You know, you have decisions that are made from a political standpoint as you know, uh, an American president comes into office and then he leads uh, his his policies, puts his policies forward and then makes decisions and these decisions will have a ripple effect across the world. The president of the United States of America is the commander in chief of our military. He is the leader of the free world. When he makes a decision, it impacts the whole world. And yet in this specific situation with Afghanistan, we have had, you know, an enormous presence there over the past 20 years. There's been an awful lot of bloodshed there. There's been an awful lot of sacrifice. There's been an awful lot of money spent in training to help this specific government stand on its own two feet. And now here, when we're talking about moving our troops out, suddenly everything collapses. So we're not going to really get into the political side of this conversation today, but what we do want to talk about is we want to talk about the church and how the church is there. And that you you can look at the stats if you just pull up you know, the stats of the church worldwide, and you can see that Afghanistan is basically 0% Christian. I mean, if you just look at the church, the church's size there is very small. But God does have his people there. God does have his church in this country. And although it may be small, nevertheless, it's there. And so we need to be mindful of how this is going to impact the church in Afghanistan and how these Christians are going to suffer as a result of this. And so we need to be we need to be praying for them, but we also need to talk about what it means to persevere through various different layers and levels of persecution. So just to start off the conversation, Virgil, according to the Voice of Martyrs, it's an organization that tracks and brings aid to the persecuted believers around the world. They state that an average of 171,000 Christians worldwide are martyred for their faith each year. Now, that's an enormous number. In other words, we're not hearing the stats on the evening news of Christians who are dying because they refuse to bow to a false god or because they choose to worship the one true and living God. And so that's genuine persecution. And that's that's a troubling statistic. And then when we go back through the scriptures, we see in Hebrews, we see a commentary of the suffering of the Old Testament believers. If you just go to Hebrews chapter 11, that passage where we talk about the hall of faith, uh, basically we see a, at the end of that chapter, we see really a, a commentary of the suffering of Old Testament believers. In, in Hebrews 11, 32 to 38, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. 
of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Well, that's that's a commentary of the suffering of the Old Testament believers. Then we flip the page to the New Testament, and it intensifies as God in human flesh came into his own people, and his own people did not receive him. So when we're talking about persecution, Virgil, and we're hearing the new stories, and we're seeing the complexities of the political uh, pressures, even here in the United States, what do we need to be thinking about when it comes to the issue of persevering in the faith through the various different layers of persecution? Yeah, man, I, I think that just in this this opening, you've kind of laid out a number of different things for us to think about as believers. Um, you, you started out by talking about the issues in Afghanistan and what we're seeing uh, on the news and the headline news and 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 on video. I mean, the the, the benefit of the internet is you is that you are actually plugged into everything uh, simultaneously. You can see what's happening around the world. The the tragedy of the internet is that you're plugged into everything and you can see everything that's happening around the world and. And uh, just by starting out, and I, I want to go back to when, when you started there at that point, uh, I began thinking immediately about the images of, of you know, those souls who were on that plane who, who were trying to get out because they knew of the devastation that was happening. And so y- y- your question was, what, what is it that we need to think about? I think, I think initially as we view just the tragedy of, of the human condition in those instances, we have to begin thinking about, about human depravity. Uh, we have to begin thinking about the the nature of the human condition apart from God. While I, I recognize that the Taliban has their own religion, it's a false religion. Uh, and false religion has you doing the kinds of things that we're seeing them do uh, from a standpoint of having no regard whatsoever for, for other human beings created in the image of God. So I, I think we have to start there because it causes everyone pause, believer and unbeliever alike. We all paused as we witnessed uh human beings who understood what was coming their way as a result of persecution, who were latching on to what they saw as freedom, which was a plane that was leaving that area and was going to take them to a space where they could, where they could thrive. So I think we've got to, we've got to start there. And, and so I'm, I'm glad that, it, you know, as, as you commented, uh, you kind of began there because that, that's what caught our attentions uh, earlier this week. But 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 it should always catch our attentions. It should always capture our minds because of the depravity of the human condition and that all of us are indeed sinners. And we, we, ought, we ought to recognize that apart from God, uh, that's us. Apart from God, that's that that we're, we're operating in those those same frameworks. And then then you talked about the, the martyrs, the number of martyrs who are 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 murdered are martyred annually 171,000 and we don't we have no no one thinks about that on an annual basis you know you, you have voice of the martyrs you have a handful of publications that that really cover that ground and really say you know this is what's happening i i think about the the verse of scripture i pulled it up in and john chapter 15 verse 19 which says if you were if you were of the world the world would love you as its own but because you are not of the world I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And, and so what you're witnessing, what we're witnessing is uh, of, all the, of all the religious causes around the world, none is more hated than those who profess the name of Christ. And so it, it, sh- it should come as no surprise to us that, that you know, in, in, the, in, the, in the scriptures we see 
time and time again, Jesus warning us of, of coming persecution as a result of, of following him, that, the, that, that, that we're no greater than our master. And if they hated him, that they would hate us. And so I, I, do, I do contrast that though, Josh, with how prepared are we to engage that reality in our current state, um, because as I as I look at, at at you know evangelicalism in in our area in our culture in our in our uh, part of the world, uh, man, it, there's just a there's just an absence of a of a doctrine around suffering. There's just an absence of the the conversation around persecution. So I, I'm really glad that. That we're having this conversation, and 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 it's important to define what is and isn't persecution. And so, you know, I, I think it, it, you know, as we talk about this subject, uh, it, it may look different. We, we may not yet be at the point where someone is coming to our home with a sword, uh, but man, we sure didn't think a, a year ago, two years ago, that when when we think about our our friends in Canada, that 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 there would be armed men shutting people out of their churches. No one thought that that was going to happen, but it but it indeed. Did. And I think it behooves the believer in Christ to be thinking about that kind of environment and situation as things in our culture begin to take a turn uh, that, that is not aimed in a, in a positive direction for those of us who believe in Christ. When you mentioned just a moment ago, Virgil, you, you talked about what was driving the, you know, the, the persecution, what's driving this hatred of, of other fellow human beings. And, and you mentioned you put your finger on the fact that it was a false religion. And yes, we can certainly, you know, talk about, you know, the, 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 the religion of Islam. We can talk about the, the fact that it's a false religion and, and it, it does fuel this hatred. What comes out of the heart of these people that are Muslim or, you know, as a people group or as individuals is hatred for other individuals that, that refuse to bow to their God. But when we come to the United States of America and we see, mm-hmm. well, you know, from a worldwide standpoint, you know, the, the people who are Muslim over in Afghanistan call us a Christian nation. But we recognize that the fact of the matter is simply this, the Christian population, even in America, is rather small. Um, when you think about how many people live in America and we think about how many true Christians there are here, we talk about false religions and we talk about even today with social justice and this this commitment to really the rise of a new religion. So this idea of critical race theory and all of the, the cultural mm-hmm, mm-hmm. conversations that are happening with us today that, that continue to divide human beings and, and, and place pressure upon the true church in America. And we're seeing, again, it's fueled by this, this false religion. And then when you go back in church history and you see you know the Puritans and you see others who are being you know, persecuted for their faith. Although warned in scripture that it would happen, you look back and you look at a William Tyndale, you look at a John Rogers who's burned at the stake, and you think about all of these individuals and why why were they burned at the stake? Why did they suffer mm-hmm. martyrdom? Why did they die in the very streets, uh, publicly giving their blood for their faith? Well, J.C. Ryle put his finger on it in his commentary when he talked about John Rogers and, and these others who were dying as a result of their unwillingness to, to bow to a false religion, namely Roman Catholicism. This is what J.C. Ryle said. He said, the doctrine in question was the real presence of the body and blood of Christ 
in the consecrated elements mm-hmm. of the bread and wine in the Lord's table? Did they or did they not believe that the body and blood of Christ were really, that is corporally, literally, locally, and materially present under the forms of bread and wine after the words of the consecration were pronounced? Did they or did they not believe that the real body of Christ, which was born of the Virgin Mary, was present on the so-called altar so soon as the mystical words had passed the lips of the priest, did they or did they not? That was the simple question. If they did not believe and admit it, they were burned, end quote. This is the situation. You have this false religion that's driving the persecution in various different places around the world. And yet the church, although small in Afghanistan, is there. And the church must stand firm in the midst of this persecution, the persecution of of Islam, a false religion against Christianity. And then in church history, these individuals like Nicholas Ridley and John Rogers and William Tyndale and others had to stand firm under the regime of the Roman Catholic Church. And then here we are in the United States. And really, when we think about the persecution that we've experienced, it's been the threat of the loss of tax exemption status. And it's been all of these various different things. And it seems like it's really not true persecution. But I think it's very important that we classify persecution as persecution, although there are different levels of persecution. And so we need to be clear, because I can remember early on in this whole you know, brouhaha in Canada. And we're talking, you know, about James Coates and there was all of this pushback. Well, that's not real persecution. Okay. Well, you define what persecution is. They were standing firm in the faith and they were suffering as a result of it. The, yes. the local government is taking yes. property. And yes. so when, when they're right. barred from their own church buildings and prevented from gathering with the church on the Lord's Day to worship, that's classified as persecution. And so we need to understand that when we hear of mask mandates and you know vaccine passports and you're going to lose your job mm-hmm. if you don't do this, this is also falling into what we are seeing as a rise in a new cultural religion in the United States of America. And you can tell how someone votes and how someone worships by, you know, how they carry themselves in public based on whether they mask up or don't mask up. Do you love your neighbor? Well, you don't love your neighbor if you don't mask up. And so uh, we're talking about a real genuine religious viewpoint here that's mixed with and, and of course, conflated with all sorts of political nuances. But nevertheless, this is... This is the rise and open door for genuine persecution on the church in our day. Yeah, I, I love I love how you frame that, um, Josh, because it, it's it's helpful to provide categories. Uh, it's helpful to to recognize that that uh, you know there there are different forms of persecution. It, it it's not always and only uh, by threat of, by threat of the sword. Uh, it it can be by threat of mandate, by threat of of, of government coming in and taking. What what you know belongs to you? It it could be by silencing you. It could be there's a number of different things that we can look at and say um, how 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 does the persecution come? And then for what purpose does that persecution come? Does it come because you're just you know ho humming down the street, or does it come because you have have openly and blatantly declared? 
that you stand for Christ and Him crucified. And so I, th- I think it's on that basis that 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 we can we can understand. Okay, yeah, sh- surely there are there are levels to persecution, and and not all of them result in the threat of death. Uh, but there are facets of which we have to identify, know what that is, and call it what it actually is, which is persecution. And so I'm glad that you kind of laid that out for for everyone who's who's listening. You, you talked about our, our our friend James Coates and what they suffered. It was amazing to witness the de- the back and forth debate about this. Uh, you know whether it was or whether it wasn't persecution. I'll tell you who wasn't who time and time again as I as I listened to interviews, whether it was whether it was with Pastor James or or with his with his bride his, his wife, th- they weren't worried about how to categorize it. You know, they, they they weren't they weren't trying to to provide a category so that they could be seen as some kind of heroic, uh, you know, duo. Uh, they, they just said, hey, this is what's happening. Please pray for us. And, and, and they went on about about their day. I even listened time and time again in interviews where interviewers would try to kind of put them in a category and say, are, are, do you feel you're suffering persecution? They would often say, well, let we'll let others decide that, you know, and so. I think that those kinds of conversations are important because it also identifies the heart of the individuals who are actually going through and navigating those particular issues. Where where are they? Is this are are they creating a situation or an environment for the purpose of their of their 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 own glorification, or is this something that they're they're simply obeying? You know, their God. They're they're obeying what Scripture has to say, and uh, and, and and as a result, are being persecuted. For it. I, I want to go back to something else you mentioned, because as you were mentioning the martyrs, you were talking about a conversation about the Lord's table. I, I mean, we, we're talking about suffering death for the purpose of what of, of where you stand with regard to the Lord's table. I, I mean, I, we need to wrap our minds around that as we as, as we as we navigate even even bigger issues. And again, I, I say bigger in, in, in light of, of of gospel importance. Right. When we think about issues of CRT in our day, uh, when we think about the, the whole transformation of the gospel, uh, that's that's worthy. Those kinds of issues are worthy of standing for, even to the point of death. Um, you have a tendency to think on a on a perhaps what you might call a, a secondary issue. You know, it, the Lord said it's, it's a problem. Primary issue, but 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 with regard to to the, the gospel and its and its importance, you might compare the two and say, well, I, I don't, I may be able to keep my mouth shut about about you know the Lord's table uh, and not suffer death, but but I won't I won't keep my mouth shut about the gospel. These men thought enough of the Lord's table to say, no, we we can't keep our mouths shut about it because here is where we stand and here is what we believe. There was a there was an article. That that you wrote that I that I ran across on our on our blog site, and and the and the article is titled "If Persecution Was Legal, Would You Be a Christian?" So you ask the question: If persecution was legal, would you be a Christian? I won't read the article uh, verbatim, but but I, I thought there was there was something that you that you asked. There were there were a number of questions that you asked that that I thought were were really important. You said this quote: "Suppose that open persecution was legalized in your city." Would you still be a Christian? And then you ask this. You said, before you begin a response regarding the finer points of theology, I want you to know that that I've crafted you. You've crafted questions in a specific way and purpose. Would you fear man? Or, or you said this quote: Would your fear of man override your fear of God? End quote. I think that question is worthy of our consideration, uh, given the nature of current culture and society. Regarding some of the issues that you mentioned, 
you mentioned m- mandates, right? These mask mandates, these these you know closures of churches that could potentially come as a result of a of a mandate. In New York, for example, you can't go anywhere without a, a vaccine passport. Um, those kinds of issues are things that we've got to think about regarding uh, how we're going to, to to navigate culture uh, as believers. And so, uh, again, I think it, this uh, this article is, is worthy of consideration. And I think the questions that you ask in the article are worthy of our consideration. Yeah. So when we, as far as Christians in America today, enjoying all of the freedoms that we enjoy, when we think about the laziness of evangelical Christians today, it's hard for us to fathom someone being willing to be burned in the city streets for the doctrine of the Lord's table when we right. have people that can't fathom getting in their right. SUV and driving three miles to church if it's a little cloudy outside because it might rain. Right, right. You know, and 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 really, I think, Virgil, what we've been witnessing over the past year and a half is— sort of a sifting of the evangelical church. And there's been this testing that has occurred, and it's really put an intense spotlight on so many local churches that have been so full of cancer for so long. And it's really brought it to the surface. So I know here you're seeing this in our own local church, where we have people who are driving more than an hour just to fellowship and just to sit under the preached word and to engage in Christian koinonia on the Lord's day. And, you know, just this past week, we had a precious family that drove over 22 hours from New Hampshire. And -hmm. they're in the process Mm of, of relocating to join this church. We're, we're seeing all of these people around the, the, the landscape here in Atlanta that are lots of people are driving more families each week to come to church and, and, Time and time again, when I talk to them, what they're telling me is that they can't find a solid church in their community. They can't find a solid church in their city. We had a family that was with us from Mm -hmm. just north of Nashville, what you might call the buckle of the Bible belt. And they were with us just a couple of weeks back. And they're consider, you know, going through the process of planting a church just north of Nashville, because the churches are capitulating, the pastors are compromising, the people are living in fear, and and they're willing to obey man rather than God. And so we just hear these stories over and over and over again. And so, brother, as I think about what you're asking, and, and as I think about the cultural landscape that we're engaging in today, I just want to urge those who are listening to this podcast to to refuse to be gripped by the fear of man, but to fear God. We, we should not fear those who can who can kill the body, but we need to fear the one who can judge both soul and body and who can send both soul and body to hell. We need to fear Christ. And, and so as we go back and look at church history, we see that there were people that that walked that very difficult road, knowing that, you know, if if you're gonna follow Jesus, it's gonna, it's gonna certainly cost you. You know, and we we can go back to the Apostle Paul and we can see how he writes and warns and gives that specific warning. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. This is 2 Timothy 3.12. And so we just need to be reminded. I think that this season has potentially reminded us that Christianity is more than a decision at the end of a sermon. But to follow Jesus 
is to actually walk in his footsteps, which is to walk in the footsteps of suffering and rejection and pain and persecution and maybe even death. Maybe even death. I mean, we have to remember what Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. He said, quote, cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession. Cheap grace, he says, is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ. And then he went on and he said this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die, end quote. So we need to be willing to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. And when you see the early inner circle of Jesus, after Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection, and then 40 days later, he ascends to the throne of God and sits down in a place of sovereignty, having completed his work. And then you think about what happened to those, th- those people. You, th- you think about that inner circle. James, the brother of John, was killed by a sword. Peter, church history tells us, was crucified upside down because he refused to be crucified in the same way as his Savior. John, church history tells us, was boiled in a large basin of boiling oil during a wave of persecution in Rome. He was delivered from that. He did not die, but he was, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And for what reason? It was for the preaching of the gospel. James, the brother of Jesus, the leader of the church at Jerusalem, was thrown down from the top of the temple, about 100 feet or so, and then beaten to death with clubs outside of the city gate. Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, was whipped to death in Armenia with a whip. Andrew was crucified on a cross in Greece after he was tortured. Thomas died in India after being stabbed with a spear. Matthias was stoned and beheaded for following Christ. And we know what happened to Paul in the very streets of Rome after being imprisoned there and after writing uh, his last words to, to his son in the faith and after uh, you know, suffering all sorts of imprisonment through, through his ministry, we know that he was beheaded. So to follow Jesus is, to quote R.C. Sproul some years ago, it's not Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And we need to remember that, right? This is not veggie tales that we're living through here. And so we need to be mindful that there's going to be genuine suffering. There's going to be genuine hardship. Now, I pray that persecution does not just completely like a tsunami overtake the church in America. But if it does, if it does, if this is just the foretaste, if this is just the appetizer to test us, then the question is, how sincere is our faith? Mm -hmm. That's the question. Absolutely. I I think that's a great question to consider. Those kinds of questions only get considered in times of persecution or or death, you, you you run into it if you're if, you know, any pastor recognizes or if, if they've had the opportunity to stand at the bedside of someone at a at a hospital, uh, they get to see firsthand what that person truly believed. Um, I've I've had the, the the benefit, so to speak, of of being with firm believers in the faith at the point that they knew that it was short order for them to take their last breath. And because they had placed their full faith in the finished work of Christ, uh, man, their, their, their death 
honored God. Their passing honored God as they maintained their faith in him. Uh, and, and, and they did so in a, in a peaceable way, in a way that, that gave dignity to, 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 to the life that they, that they led. And, um, you know, it, it's through persecution that we get to witness what people truly believe. Do you really believe all the things that you've been preaching about and saying about having full faith in Christ when hard times actually come? Uh, and and I, I think a, you, you mentioned earlier, and I think it was, was brilliantly put when you, when you talked about, you know, the ideas that we have in our current culture that, that are really inched deep in the way of belief uh, and, and, and really, really expose the fact that there's a cancer that, that has been metastasizing within evangelicalism. Uh, I think about the about words from, from great men like Charles Spurgeon, who said this, quote, you cannot be Christ's servant if, if you are not willing to follow him, cross and all. What do you crave, a crown? Then it must be a crown of thorns if you are to be like him. Do you want to be lifted up? Mm. So, so you shall, but it will be upon a cross, end quote. Those are thoughts and ideas of men who knew what it meant to suffer uh, for the sake and cause of Christ. I think about our friend Paul Washer, uh, who said this. He said, quote, if following Jesus Christ doesn't cost you anything, it's because you've bought into American Christianity, end quote. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we we, we, we don't believe that Christianity should cost us anything. In fact— uh, unfortunately, there's a there's a whole wave of evangelicalism that believes that that it should pay us something, right? That we should actually get something out of the Christianity that we practice. That 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 we should get houses and bigger houses, checks and larger checks, and you know, and 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 the like, and and that it, it's all about prosperity. And I think those will be the people that when the difficult times come, that they'll 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 be they'll be difficult to find. They'll be difficult to identify. Yeah. When we see people suffering and we think of persecution and we think about the present cultural pressures that we're experiencing today, you know, a lot of these cultural pressures, yes, we've talked about the idea of the false religion that's fueling it. That's the mindset. But then the actual the actual power comes from the government. When we think about, you know, uh, who's in charge here, you know, and, and we talk about, well, we have a government that's in place. Well, this government has the ability to either help us or hurt us when it comes to the way that we practice our faith. And so, you know, when we look back at church history and we think about, you know, a a Thomas Cranmer and we think about these guys like, you know, you you can go back and you you can read the story, the account of Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley, and you can remember how they embraced one another as they were being, you know, led to the stake. And when they were, they were literally being burned they called out, you know, it's, it's, it's just a, it's just a marvelous scene there. If you go back to John Fox's uh, records of this whole scene, but Latimer calls out to Ridley and he says, be of good cheer, Ridley, play the man. We shall this day by God's grace, light up such a candle in England as I trust will never be put out. End quote. The interesting thing about Thomas Cranmer though, if you remember his story is that he actually would recant. He would actually go back and he, you know, would, would try to, you know, he just really struggled, to be honest. He struggled with whether or not he was making the right decision. And yet after he took a firm stand, he would 
you know, suffer an agonizing three-year period where he was imprisoned, isolated, humiliated. He was tortured. He was forced to watch his friends, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer, be burned alive. And although he struggled and he recanted numerous times, he finally came to a place where really he, he put his faith on glorious display, really on the day of his death. Now, Bloody Mary was insistent that this man was going to burn because you know, she, she wasn't buying into whether or not he had recanted or he had, he had not, you know, it, it didn't matter in her mind, he needed to be burned. And so there came this scene where he was led to, uh, St. Mary's church and he was wearing his torn, you know, ragged clothing. He had been kept in prison for, for all these days and, and months and years. And so, he was given a moment to speak, and they had a strict script for him to speak. And yet, as he stood there before this this crowd of people, he started to follow the script. But then there came this moment where he went off script. And so I'm going to read to you what he says. It's just a striking scene. He says, First, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And I believe every article of the Catholic faith, every word and sentence taught by our Savior, Jesus Christ, his apostles and prophets in the New and Old Testament. And forasmuch as my hand hath offended, writing contrary to my heart, therefore my hand shall first be punished. For when I come to the fire, it shall first be burned. Now, they were fine with all of that, okay? But now here's where he starts to, to, to go off script. And he, he then states the following, quote, And as for the Pope... I refuse him as Christ's enemy and antichrist with all his false doctrine, end quote. And at that, at that very moment, the entire cathedral erupted in fierce anger. The people began shouting over his voice and, and heckling him and, and calling for his life really to be taken at that moment. And so they, there was an order to pull him down. They dragged him down from that place and they they marched him to the place of execution where he would where he would burn where he would suffer and die now keep in mind when we hear stories like that we have to remember that these people were suffering under political pressure so yes there's a religious component to it and and when we read you know fox's book of martyrs we can read through the lens of there's this there's this you know gospel issue that's here where he's refusing to bow to uh, uh, you know, some sort of mandate, or he's refusing to embrace another religion. And we need to see that because that's real. But we also need to remember the reason that they were allowed to burn people in the streets is because it was legal, because there was a political layer to all of this. And so we're fooling ourselves as American Christians if we think that we're somehow immune to that. You know, when I mentioned something just recently on Twitter about the Christians that actually were arguing for a, a path to vote for Joe Biden as president. And yet now they need to look at what's happening in Afghanistan and see that that instability there and that the women and children that are going to be hunted down and abused, the Afghan women and children, and then the church of Jesus is going to suffer as a result of this. You can draw a straight line right back to the president of the United States of America and say that this is the fruit of his decision or the fruit of his failed leadership, however you want to face it and however you want to state it, describe it. But at the end of the day, 
when you make a statement like that, we need to remember that we in America are not, we're not immune to these problems and we're not, we're not somehow, you know, living in a land where we're not going to have the, or run the risk to go back into the same sort of, you know, cultural, political pressures that actually legalized persecution on Christians hundreds of years ago. That could certainly that could certainly happen today. We need to be prepared for it, and we need to stand firm as Christians and be steadfast in our faith. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I totally agree and hear what you're saying and the importance of standing firm. I think about the, 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 the story that you just delivered of Thomas Kramer that, and, and what he walked through and, and, and the, the wrestling that he did uh, before he actually took a stand. And I, I think as we, as we listen to you unpack that story, all of us would like to imagine ourselves in his shoes when he's, when he's doing the right thing. Uh, when he's making those kinds of claims and and standing firm in the faith, we'd love to imagine ourselves in that same light. But the reality is, what what takes place before something like that is are, are smaller decisions all along the way uh, that that cause us to 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 maybe capitulate on this one issue here and this one issue there. Till before long, we we look up and we're far left of that dead center position. That, that 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 Kramer just just articulated well, and so I, I wanted to ask you. Just I, I know we're about to wind things up. I wanted to ask you. Just you know, I, I think the charge for us to stand firm is good for pastors who are going to be navigating these kinds of issues, talking to and providing counsel to that. What what advice would you give them? What how would you how would you in, in, encourage them as they're trying to navigate all of these particular issues that we see in culture? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the best way is for us to just be steadfast in the faith. And so when you hear of mask mandates or a vaccine mandate, all these different things, uh, we're going to have to make honest decisions about what this means. That means some are going to need to walk away from jobs. Others are going to need to find a new church because their church has completely derailed in the process. Um, But we also need to remember is that Romans 13 is in the Bible, but we don't have the right to redefine the original intent of Paul when he was writing to the church in Rome in that specific passage. So I think that it's it's a tragedy to take Holy Scripture and to twist it in such a way as to make it a mandated response by the Church of Jesus Christ to bow to every whim of the government of the United States of America especially when it comes to the issues of restricting the freedom of worship. Now, we can talk about statistics of COVID-19. I believe COVID-19 is a real disease or sickness. But at the end of the day, we also need to be wise and careful and recognize that we live in a fallen world. This is not utopia, and we're not gonna we're not gonna ever arrive at utopia regardless of medical advancement and technology. So the idea that we need to restructure and rethink life, as so many people are trying to use that language and talk about restructuring and rethinking how we do events and how we engage in the public sphere, and we don't need to be gathering in large numbers anymore, and look at technology. We can do this on Zoom now. And Well, no, you can't. You cannot rethink church. We don't have the right to do that. So we need to ask ourselves an honest question. Did COVID-19 catch 
catch Jesus by surprise? Did COVID-19 catch God by surprise? Did he read it in the New York Times and discover that, oh no, maybe my blueprint for the church is not good after all? Maybe I need to maybe think about you know, inspiring some, raising up some new sage or seer or some prophet that can give a, a new definition for a modern church? No, no, the Bible's sufficient. We have the Word of God. And so we need to gather and we need to worship and we need to be faithful and we need to have strong churches that refuse, that refuse to capitulate. Now, here's what that doesn't mean, Virgil. It doesn't mean that we need to be stupid and ignorant people. It doesn't mean that we don't need to wash hands and use, make good decisions. You know, if there's an outbreak in your church, well, then common sense says wash your hands and you probably don't need to be up in one another's faces, right? But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the church of Jesus Christ has to be the church and we have to function and we have to fellowship and we have to engage in the ordinary means of grace and we have to go out into a lost world and preach the gospel. So that would be my encouragement is to make sure that we're reading Romans 13 the way that God intended for us to read it. And then we need to bridge that gap to our modern context and be clear that we also include other texts like Hebrews chapter 10 and all of the one another passages that are just laced throughout the scriptures, that we have an obligation to be a together people. But the last thing that I would say is this. Back to what you mentioned a moment ago. Before we ever get to a place where we think we're going to stand like a Thomas Cranmer or we're going to stand like a John Rogers and we're going to suffer persecution, we need to be mindful that when the real genuine wave of severe persecution erupts upon our nation, I believe exactly what Paul Washer said years ago, that we think that we're going to be heroes. Well, time, time perhaps... As, as history records us, the church in the coming years, if the Lord tarries, we, they could read our story and be inspired, as we've done with so many others. But we need to be mindful that when, when it comes time to take a stand and to suffer persecution, we will not re- be received with some sort of heroic welcome to the stake. It's just not going to happen. We're going to be called all sorts of vile names we're going to be outcasts. We're going to be treated like criminals. We're going to be treated on the same on the same level as the vilest of criminals. And so that day of persecution will not be a pleasant experience. And so we don't need to read through this 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 lens, this false lens of some heroic stand. And there's going to be this this you know table of celebration that's going to happen on the other side. It might not end well for us. Mm-hmm. And we need to be mindful of that. Man, that's really good. I think that's really good. I'm I'm glad we had this conversation. I'm glad that we're talking about these particulars. I think I think this is imp- this is an important time. It's important for us to consider these things, and and I think we need to be, continue having more conversations like these. Josh, I really do. Absolutely. Well, it is our prayer that you know the ministry of G3 Ministries would be an encouragement to pastors and to fellow Christians to have a strong backbone, to stand firm. The world needs to see it. Fellow churches need to see it. And that's what we're hoping will be accomplished, even in the G3 Church Network that was just launched here recently, Virgil. And so I'm very excited about that, to be able to fellowship with other pastors and to be strengthened and encouraged with other men. And so 
Uh, we're praying for you, uh, as we often do. We pray that the ministries of G3 will have uh, a great impact upon your soul and your local church for the glory of God. So we hope to see you with us coming up very soon at the G3 National Conference. You can find out more information at our website at g3men.org. You can also find the very archives of this podcast at our website, and you can also download the G3 app. We encourage you to do that and to turn on notifications because we will be, as we get a little closer to the conference, we're going to be uh, releasing some important announcements related to the conference and other Uh, resources through G3 Ministries, some special announcements coming up soon. So we want you to hear that as well. So we hope you have a wonderful week in the Lord. Until next time, may God bless you and we'll see you next week on the G3 Podcast.